0: If you're a Bible bringer, Bible grabber, Bible turner, Romans 1 is where we will be today. Romans 1, Daniel just read in our scripture reading and prayer time, Romans 12, but we'll be in the first chapter in just a moment. Uh, Hold tight, we'll get there. I want to begin this sermon with the angst of an ant. Anybody got any angst? Ants have angst apparently, 1998 DreamWorks film, a film called Ants, A-N-T-Z, got to follow there, and the head, the lead guy is Z, the ant, and Z is just overwhelmed, he's got angst, and he's just kind of trying to figure out his way in a modern ant colony, how to feel significant as an individual among so many. Uh, Let's take a look, see if you can uh, relate to the ant, Ant Z, in
1: any way. All my life, I lived and worked in a big city. Which, now that I think of it, is kind of a problem, since I always feel uncomfortable around crowds. I mean it, I, I have this fear of enclosed spaces. I, I, I Everything makes me feel trapped all the time. You know, I, I always tell myself, there's gotta be something better out there, but maybe I, maybe I think too much. I, I, I think everything must go back to the fact that I had a very anxious childhood. You know, my, my mother never had time for me. You know, when, you, when you're the middle child in a family of five million, you don't get any attention. I mean, how is it possible? And, and I've always had these these abandonment issues which plagued me. My father was, was basically a drone, like I've said, and you know, the guy flew away when I was just a larva and my job, don't get me started on because uh, it, it really annoys me I'm, I, I was not cut out to be a worker i'll tell you right now i I, I feel physically inadequate I, I my whole life i've never I've never been able to lift more than ten times my own body weight and and when you get down to it, handling dirt is you know is not my idea of a rewarding career it's this whole gung ho super organism thing that 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 I you know, I can't get. I try, but I don't. I don't get it. I mean, you know, I'm. Uh, what is it? I'm supposed to do everything for the colony, and and uh, what about my needs? What about me? I mean, I gotta believe there's some place out there that's better than this. Otherwise, I would just curl up in a lava position and weep. The whole system makes me feel insignificant. Excellent. You've made a real breakthrough. I have. Yes, Z.
0: You are insignificant, Uh, I am? any connection there? There's a whole lot of folks around and you, you've got your needs and you, just, you don't want to feel like a pebble in a rock pile, a grain of sand on the seashore, some cog in the wheel. You want to, you want to stand out. You want to be acknowledged for you and that you're special and you don't, just don't want to get caught up in it. A couple of words by contrast that I want to put up. One is individual and the other is individualistic. Raise your hand if you're an individual. And you got any individuals here today? Raise your hand if you're individualistic. Okay. Yeah. No confessions there. How do you know? Uh, Some people have studied this. They've lent their opinion. I don't know if there's direct, uh, you know, science behind this, but people have lent their opinions. You're individualistic. If you put me over other people, if you put career advancement over company loyalty, if you put, listen up young people, if you put my truth above absolute truth, if you, if you put, you know, your, um, Ego and advancement above community values or what you want out above the, the community or the family that you're involved in, then you're individualistic. Look, the government, families, churches, your workplace, everything is less if we, have, if, if we are individualistic. Everything, of course, is made up of the individual. Every hand went up on that one. No hands went up on this one. But we, we battle with this. If you've got your own truth and your own set and you're, you want other people to sacrifice solely uh, for you Romans chapter 1 here's our passage today now Romans 1 is Romans is rich Romans 1 is is, is particularly rich we talk, we're in a series uh, called why faith matters and last week we looked at how to have a faith you can keep And we looked at three fallacies that are philosophical about faith and science and faith and reason and faith and knowing. And that idea of knowing is really important. We said that it's easy for us to think that you can't really know about spiritual truth. That's a fallacy. There's a deep need within the human soul to know. And when people write about, well, we're just here uh, for no purpose and no reason, there's been scientists to write books about that that life uh, in general and your life in particular has no meaning. And my question, if I could have coffee with them, is why did you write the book? There is something within us that we need to know. Peter would write to the early church and say, add to your faith, not just wishful thinking or emotional zeal, but add to your faith knowledge, add to it uh, some moral knowledge we need to know and it crushes the human soul when we see people and because they are perceived to be smart they probably are brilliant in some respects and we think that they span the galaxies and have concluded scientifically that there's no knowledge or no way to know and that there's no meaning behind it all it crushes the human soul that God has given you to know in Romans 1 we're not preaching today I'm just throwing it out there but Romans 1 says that they knew God but they did not honor him as God nor were they thankful they became futile in their thinking and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became foolish. Look, we there is right and wrong and we need to know it. We There's a path that our feet should be walking, that our hearts and minds lead us toward it and it's into the light. And when the biblical writers wrote about knowledge, it was that, that vision, that light burst into the darkness and we can say, we know, we know. Now we looked at the oddity of, and the, it's just messy and marvelous. Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We love the assurance and the evidence. Give me all the assurance, give me all the evidence, but there's things that we, hope for there's things that we don't yet see and that's this idea of faith so how to how to have a faith you could keep and be glad of it was last week go back and listen or watch if you haven't and today the difference of faith community can make so Romans 1 12, it's sort of isolated here this is right before Paul is going to say a few verses later if I'm not ashamed of the gospel it's the power of God to salvation to the Jew and also to the Greek Romans 1.12, that is, not giving you context much here, it's the greeting part, he's saying some w- wonderful things, he says, that is that we, pl- plural there, may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. In other words, mysteriously, we are a collection of individuals, but we come together to form of community. And that your faith would be living and active and that my faith would be living and active and that my faith could rub off on your faith and your faith would inspire my faith. And when my faith is low and I'm depleted, that your faith could be strong and that we could look at each other. Next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at two inspiring faith stories that I hope uh, can grip you. I hope that it comes in a, in a time of need when people, and this has always been true. Now we just have social media and tools to put it out there, but people have always lost faith and left the faith and deconstructed their faith. But in the middle of this mutual mutual encouragement. There is, uh, I think, of Hebrews about us having faith. It says to us, uh, "Let us." It uses those two words repeatedly throughout Hebrews. "Let us." You're an individual. I'm an individual. You have faith. I hope. I have faith. I hope. You're counting on me. I'm the preacher, right? I gotta have some level of faith, but we're counting on each other. So let us. Let us. What? Let us. Hold fast to our faith, to the hope that we have. Let us not drift away. Uh, Let us be diligent to enter into God's rest. Let us lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. I won't uh, say all of them up here this morning because that's not the sermon. But let us, let us be together. Let our faith be mutual. Let it rub off on each other. Let our faith strengthen each other. Pastor Andy Stanley said not long ago that he finds in his pastoral experience that people leave the community of faith before they leave the faith. And that's what I find, particularly among our young people today, they faded, they've drifted. Hebrews 2, 1 says, take earnest heed that you don't drift. Let us make sure. So we, we love each other. We call it, hey, missed you, hadn't seen you, how are you doing? Hey, let's connect. Not in judgment, not in any spirit of harshness. Galatians 6, you do so with reverence, with gentleness in order to restore, in order to call back. But, but I find a lot of people drift from the community of faith and move away from the practices that that are important for followers of Jesus to make a part of their lives, weekly, daily, monthly, to make these a part of our lives. And then the time spent on social media, the time spent, uh, so much of it in poison, buying into a lot of the lies. A doctor uh, named Dr. Jill Taylor, she was a a Harvard-trained brain scientist and not that long ago, she experienced a massive stroke that it was just devastating. And the, the left side of the brain that that regulates speech and linear thinking was uh, adversely affected. And she laid uh, month after month in a hospital bed. And in her memoir, in this book she wrote not too long ago, she talks about uh, uh, unable being there month after month and being unable to have conversations with people. But... She had some memories and some images and associations of people walking up to her. And here's what she says. Y'all, we're spiritual beings. We give off an energy or not. Do you realize that? Here's what she said, Dr. Jill Taylor. She said, I experienced people as consecrated uh, packages of energy. Although I could not understand the words they spoke, I could read volumes from their facial expressions and their body language. I paid very close attention to how their energy dynamics affected me. Some people brought me energy while others took it away. I say often here been saying it a lot lately, that life is greater than death, that salvation is greater than sin, that what we see is not all there is. Y'all, we are spiritual beings. You have a body, but you are a soul. And there's energy, all these ideas, uh, faith itself and hope and love that nobody wants to deny. And I don't know anybody that denies those realities, despite vast disagreements, nobody denies those realities and has any sense of happiness in life. And those things are real and they're spiritual, even though we can't touch and see and taste and hear like we, like we want to. We know that they are there and they're important as a part because we're not just a, a human logic machine. We are souls and we give off energy. Question this morning, what kind of energy do you give off? Let me ask you, let's make it personal. Disregard the person that you're sitting next to that you probably know and had a fight with on the way here. But th- think about it this way, let's, let's call a certain group of people life bringers. And this, let's identify the others as life drainers. Don't look around, don't elbow people. We don't do that here. Life bringers, they increase our energy. They deepen our hope. They add to our joy and they call out the best in us. How about that? Do, do you bring energy? Hey, Romans 1.12, our faith, is mutual. Like we could benefit Let us benefit from that. Your faith and my faith working together. We can hold fast the profession of hope. We can be encouraged by each other's faith as we connect together. That's what we're talking about this morning. The difference a faith community can make. By contrast, you probably already read it, life drainers, they add to our anxiety. They invite us to cynicism. They leave us exasperated. Fondren Church next month celebrates 10 years. Pretty cool. And 10 years ago, there was somebody, we had a service, and not a lot of people were there. And the person said to me, you know, there weren't a lot of people here. And I mean, let me just give you a hint. When there's not a lot of people there, you never have to tell the preacher that. Just never do. Let me do you know, you may tell, need to tell him a whole lot of things. You may need to check on him a few times that day and the next day. But you never have to tell a preacher, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of people there. We always know we always know but this person would say things like that and other things and for about nine years it was just like this person I love them in Jesus by faith but this person could add to my anxiety now we've made up and they're not here today they're out of state but probably won't podcast but this person would add to my anxiety and I, I pray not too long, Lord, I, I want to do my part in this relationship. I want it to be better. I, I, Lord, I, I want to be a life bringer. I want to bring life to people. Lord, do I bring life? Do I bring life when, I'm, when I walk into a room? Do, do I give that off? And, and I, I want to rub off on this person. God, if you've made me that way, and we need a little bit of this. And look, you you, you have things that I don't have, and I need to hang out with you and connect with you. And even though we, we rub up against each other and have conflict, we can add to this. We can increase our energy and deepen our joy and add to our hope and call out the best in each other anybody discouraged today anybody wondering and have some uncertainty about stuff uh, and you need somebody to call that out in you to bring life so i want to give you today i'm gonna i'm gonna i to anchor in romans 1:12 about our mutual faith that we have that we're in this together and i want to point if you're a note taker write this down some of you are gonna you're gonna know this by heart or at least know the essence of it uh, Acts chapter 2, I want to point to that, and I want to take three principles. We could take a whole bunch, because it, it was the church when it was really firing. It was the church. that they were about to have a lot of conflict. They had to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. They couldn't just rush ahead. They needed God. They needed this to be a spiritual endeavor. They couldn't rely on human methodology or ingenuity or creativity. They needed the Spirit of God to work. Isn't that a good message for the church? Like, we need you to, to do your work. This is a, a spiritual Endeavor and it's a revolution of love that we're bringing to the world. And so, God, love through us these empty, broken vessels, fill us with your spirit. And as they began to operate, they were about to have a whole lot of conflict and a whole lot of division. But look what happened in Acts 2. Not necessarily turning there, you could if you want to keep me honest, but it says that the, the apostles, that they, there's that plural word, they. And who's the they? It's a whole lot of people. And we had 25 people uh, invited leaders in the social hall Friday night and Saturday to talk about the they that we could become here in our city. More diverse, greater acts of love and service. We hope and we pray that God will do that among us. But the they was all the people that God was adding to this early church. And it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. And God did sign. There were signs and awes and wonders among them. And they were sharing with everyone as they had need. Now, does this scare anybody? But there weren't needs among them because there was so much generosity. And there was this line between Rich or poor, and there wasn't any condensation, any separation based on social status, and God was doing this work. And so, I want, I want to pull three things as we again anchored in Romans one twelve about having a mutual faith, where we would encourage one of three things uh, that that flow that I see in this Acts two forty two to forty seven passage. The first is you gotta be real. It says that they uh, broke bread with gladness and sincerity. Uh, generosity some versions render. But that, that sincerity is what I want to focus on uh, and, and highlight that. But, you know, you can have fellowship. You can break, let me put it this way, you can break bread with somebody and not have fellowship. You ever wanted to connect? Let's think recently, but, you know, you connected with someone because it was their initiative or your initiative and you were looking for a friend or some type of conversation and you broke bread together, but it, it just kind of it was flat. And, it you know, just what, you, you that can happen. And no chemistry, no deep connection Uh, nothing bitter just no connection there and it seems to me that you and I could learn a lot about our faith about walking in the company of faith if we could learn more about this idea of sincerity so what is it that makes churches have a reputation of being so fake not this church of course we're talking about the other ones Right here. No, no. What, 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 why is it? They, they've done surveys. And I know some people have an angle and an axe to grind and they're, they're out to, to, to persecute or to get us or whatever. But like, surveys show that, that that churches can be seen or perceived as some of the fakest places on earth. Why would that be? What, what is it about us? Any, any guesses? I almost would like you to talk back to me too. Why, why do we feel like we have to be fake? Why do we have to feel like we need to pretend think about two things real quickly jesus's family tree and then jesus's table i use that in somewhat in a metaphorical way but jesus's family tree jesus in his lineage had a, a deceiver a coward a womanizer uh, an abuser um, a man who sent his wife uh, out to be uh, to be raped Uh, on and on and on, you look and you see a prostitute, you see all of these people, uh, you see uh, a victim of incest, you see someone on a power trip, all of these things that we would say are wretched and wicked and vile and evil, all are in Jesus's family tree. I'm gonna say it one more time. I've said it a few times lately. The Bible doesn't airbrush any of its people. But we have such a need to airbrush our lives, to show up, And because we're doing this, we're really not even showing up because it's not, it's the false self that's showing up. It's not authentic community like we get a glimpse of in Acts 2, but it's the person that we want you to think that we are and we want to pretend that the... Family tree of Jesus, then you think of the table. You think of the disciples and those associated with Jesus and the disciples. Uh, Thomas doubted him. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. James and John self promoted around him. Zacchaeus cheated people. Paul persecuted the followers of Jesus. No airbrushing in the Bible. But yet we have to, we feel that we have to do that. The word sincere translated to us let me show you real quick it's made up of two words compound they call it first word is sunlight and the second word is to judge or discern we have hard time with that word but uh to sunlight or to discern let's go with that one sunlight or to discern in other words it's to if you take that together it's to be judged or tested in the light so if you're trying to hide something where do you go sunlight Mm mm-mm they had a country song years ago in the 70s. Nobody's going to remember it, but, it's, but when, I, when they go behind closed doors, that's what we do. And funny, ironically, we, we think of intimacy as being something in darkness behind closed doors. But yet intimacy, according to Scripture, is brought into the light. It's when you and I, uh, we take our stuff, ourselves, and we bring it right into the sunlight in order to be judged or uh, discerned. First John chapter one. He, he, if we confess our sins, here's a promise. Somebody needs it today. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right before that, it says, "If we say that we do not sin, we deceive ourselves." Now, I don't know anybody that walks around saying, "I don't sin." Like we check them into mental institutions if they, if they make that claim usually. But nobody says that, but sometimes we can live that way, minimizing, justifying, rationalizing, denying, sweeping it under the carpet, and looking the other way. But if we say that we don't sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And here's the thing that, that hurts us. It fractures us. We don't have fellowship with God. We don't have fellowship with one another. So what is it about it? Don't, don't, don't you want to be a people who could break the back of that to walk into greater help and health and healing because we could bring our stuff into the light, into the sunlight for God to do a work in us? We think that it's really dangerous to get real. But y'all, it's more dangerous to pretend. Let me, let me be pretty bold here. I'm a little, little off scared that i'm doing this but y- y'all, y'all heard of ananias and sapphire y'all heard of them in the in the book of acts anybody know this story of this couple and they they lied about the offering all right whoever's touching the offering plate today the giving y'all i'm preaching to you but they uh we have lots of checks and balances by the way so give generously but uh they, they lied about the offering and they lied they pretended to be more generous than they were so that other people would think more highly of them that's is that when you lie I know nobody's going to shake their head, but like, just, I'm I'm just looking at your heart right now. Is that when you lie? Isn't that when we lie is when we want other people to think more highly of ourselves? And what happened to this couple? They both dropped dead. So here's the thing. Killing. I'm sorry. Pretending can kill a church. Pretending can kill you. It's not healthy for you to walk around in pretense. And so though it seems risky, listen to me. It is worth the risk to move toward getting real oh if we're going to have a faith that's mutual a faith that where we feed off each other oh that acts two passage they broke bread but they just didn't just hang out in a fellowship hall and have and smile and be polite and be victims to christian blandness Sometimes we think, well, they got along because they were all alike and they were just nice and polite. There was so much not niceness in the early church. There was so much not politeness. They started, Acts chapter six, they started fighting over which widows they take care of. And there was the Hellenistic Jews and the Greek crowd and the Gentiles, all these, they started fighting over this. Man, they had it out. Paul had a fight with somebody, man. It was so, so big. They went separate ways. And then Peter had his say about it. And then Paul and Peter, uh, they address, Paul addresses Peter's, ethnic prejudice so there's fighting and there's conflict it's not listen to me it's not about us just being polite and nice can I just say it like some of you are too polite and it makes you bland and you might be draining life out of people you're invited to the sunlight don't deceive yourselves don't try to deceive other people walk into the light and let your stuff be known now let me tell you A Quick story. Uh, Many years ago, I was in a group, a small group. I kind of led it, but the group had a life of its own, which meant I wasn't a very good leader. And there was this time where this young woman was invited by an older woman to be in the group, and she was uh, brand new to her faith. At the time, I, I, I didn't think she was a Christian, really, but she had been out of a really bad relationship. Uh, an abusive relationship where the man was uh, abusive toward her, uh, emotionally, mentally, physically as well, some degree of physical violence. He had cheated on her and stolen her money and dumped her. And we got to the prayer time of this group. This was her second time in the group, but this came up and she prayed for him. And here was her prayer. She said, God, I pray that you kill him. And this other woman the woman that invited her was sort of a a missionary person very godly i mean she was been a christian for decades and decades it was a was a prayer warrior she was such a prayer warrior she almost didn't want to pray because she prayed so long and she but she prayed after this prayer god kill him she said oh no god and she must have really believed god like he was about to pull the trigger oh no god no god don't 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 kill him forgive him and heal him and restore him and redeem him and reconcile him and she started talking about justification propitiation and sanctification all these things she was just praying and praying and praying and the other the first girl she prayed no god i pray that you if if, if you do that he'll think he's gotten away with this i pray that you kill him and so she dug deeper and i thought man this is this is dueling prayer request here they did not teach this in seminary And I thought, you know, do these prayers cancel each other out? Do I have the deciding prayer? Because I kind of like the kill prayer there. It seemed like it. I mean, he mistreated her. But look, we bring our true selves. Was that the worst thing in the world? It wasn't. I almost think the the worst thing in the world is when we all show up and smile. And act like everything's okay. And by the way, if you want to challenge me later on that, those prayers are in the Psalms if anybody's uninitiated. Like those type of prayers. They're they're prayers of description, we would say, theologically, not prayers of prescription. It's not necessarily saying, hey, go pray these prayers. But they're described by people who had deep devotion, who had their own angst in life and offered these prayers. So let's, let's get real. Let's get real. Second thing from Acts 2 is this very idea, move beyond what you feel. So when we talk about getting real, it says they met together and they, they broke bread together with glad and sincere hearts. And it says here in Acts 2 that they continued. They continued to meet together. They continued to do that. That's the great thing about faith. I say this often. if you, A starting faith doesn't mean a staying faith. Can you stay in the faith? And to stay in the faith, you're going to need a community of faith. One more time. To stay in the faith, you're going to need a community of faith. You're going to need that, and they kept that going. Let's say that you were, uh, you're married, and your wife texts you. Nobody calls anymore. She texts you and says, hey, what time are you coming home for dinner? Not, not many people have dinner anymore, but let's just pretend. And the wife texts you says, what time are you coming home for dinner? Let's pretend. Your response is, you know, I don't know. I may come home. I may not. I don't care. I may, I may not come there. Now, how's that going to work for you? Let's say that, that you sign on the dotted line. You get a job offer and you sign the contract to start work. And, but then you tell the boss, hey, I may not, I may not show up at work. Do you know that you'll need to show up for dinner if you're going to be married? Do you know that you'll need to show up at work if you sign a contract unless you're a, a flashy receiver in the NFL? You actually have to, to, to show up. Like you have to show up. There is that thing in life that says show up. Everybody, this is for everybody, especially young people, just helping you out along the way, a little wisdom. I found this the other day about how to add value. Uh, If if you're in a family, in a church, in a group, you're on the job, the goal should be to add value to people's lives. How to add value, 101, be on time, stay a little later, do a little more, and act like you want to be there. And in the early church, we see this commitment. It says that they were devoted. Remember that? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship and prayer, signs and wonders and all among them. But they wanted to be there, and they were present with each other. Showing up, adding value, being all there, and they continued in that. Listen, without regular fellowship. I know it's funny, very funny in these times now. But without regular fellowship, you're not going to know the joy of being known and loved and healed and forgiven and the thrill of working side by side with the greatest cause ever. And so I, I guarantee you that that's true. Because we, we lead the community of faith before we leave the faith. And we need to say, let us. Let us meet together. The practices of the early church. I know we got to figure this out. How do we do it every day? When I worked at Pine Lake Church, so there was a guy there. He owned a couple of restaurants. He's like, man, you guys need to preach every day. We need to have church every day. I said, you and Chip, the senior pastor, he probably meant mostly Chip. But like, y'all need to preach every day. We to have church every day. I'm like, who would come every day? My goal here would not be to try to have church every day. That probably wouldn't go well. But I do think Scripture says over and over that we need to take one day at a time, Hebrews 3.13, that we need to encourage each other every single day so that you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Is your life getting harder or is it getting softer? Are you more pliable and yielding and open to the work of God and compassionate toward other people and more joyful in your faith? Are you growing harder like concrete? Encouragement is the key, and you have to have that every day. Where are you going to get that? In what ways are you bringing that? Are you draining? Are you an energy bringer? Do you have those people in your life? Y'all, y'all, y'all ever identified an energy drainer and then you stay away from them, like you avoid them in the hallways and stuff? Y'all ever do that? Yeah, me neither. Okay. Third, third point in closing is this: share your life with zeal. You got to be real. You got to be real. Look, thirdly, here: share your life with zeal. Share your stuff. And share your story. In ancient Palestine, I mentioned this earlier, but there were, there was great poverty, there was imprisonment, there was slavery, and there was crushing debt. Now we're having a political discussion, socioeconomic discussion in our country about absolving college debt. And who doesn't want their debt, who wants their debt to be absolved? Those who have it, right? Yeah, I see Caleb's hand, our drummer, our, our drummer. Yeah, if you're in college, if you had debt, you wanted, who doesn't want everybody's debt to be sorry. people that work two and three jobs, right like there's that in us but the early church said forget all of that and let forget that and we won't blur the lines and here's what i love about the early church and i want to press on you if you've got a lot of money if you're rich today i want to press on you but if you're not rich and globally i think all of us are rich if you have a place to live and running water and all that like you're rich But for all of us, the early church, here's what you see in Acts. Here's what you see about the mutuality of faith is that they looked at their Savior and they said, here's what we've learned from Jesus. Yes, he gives us richly all things to enjoy. Enjoy good things, but don't live for them." And give them away. Give them away because we are not, you are not the owner of what you have. Can I I just offer that humility to you today? Like, you may be strutting your stuff. You may be proud that you're a self-made man or woman. But look, it's a gift from God. He has given you that. And so enjoy what you can, but think about giving it away and thinking about the impact that you can have. I quote sometimes from another pastor, "Don't, don't just sit around thinking about how you can increase your standard of living. Think about how you can increase your standard of giving. And here's the thing. The early church arranged their lives around these practices. And they said, these practices done together are going to cause us to grow. We've got to stay at it. We've got to do it all the time. They've got to be regular practices. They cause us to grow, and then they bless others on the outside. And listen, other people were glad that Jesus' following community was generous and that they were there. Would Fondren, this community, Bellhaven, North, would this community miss us if we weren't here? That ought to be the goal, isn't it? Not just filling seats and, and, and such, but would we be missed? Are we being salt and light here? Are we bringing that level of generosity? Share your stuff. Y'all, it's, when you look at Jesus, he didn't say cling to it very tightly and clutch what is yours. Be a joyful steward. And I don't, I'm, I'm going to say this. I don't know anybody that's happy that holds on to their stuff. I've taught this before, but I've never heard anybody say, man, I, I hate that I gave that money to give those wells in wells of water, clean water in Africa. I, I hate that I invested in Reclaim Project and touched the lives of kids over in another part of the world that have nothing. I, I hate that I took time to invest in Red Door right here in West Fondren, through Fondren Church. I've never heard anybody, I've I've seen people busy, I've seen people uh, maybe pull back on their commitment or have to question it, but no one that said, I regret doing that. But I've met a whole bunch of y'all and me to some extent that, you know, you regret buying the season tickets, or you you regret the boat, or the the big house, or you regret all the things that have to be insured and maintained over and over again. And there's regret there, but the early church, they gave away their stuff in ancient past Palestine needed it. Does our world need your generosity? Does this church, I'd like to answer a hearty yes, but our world needs it. Look, we we can overflow to the extent that a collection of individuals says, let's connect together and be a body together. But they also shared their story. Writer, uh, Pastor Andy Crouch has a book called Strengths and Strength, Strong and Weak is, is what it's titled. He mentions two uh, principles that are biblical. And I think they're important for us to understand when it comes to being sincere and showing up and being there and then sharing our story. He uses the word authority. That's a biblical word. He defines it as a capacity for meaningful action. And then he uses the word vulnerability. It's when we're exposed to meaningful risk. Now, we tend to think this way. And, by the way, not letting anybody off the hook, we parent this way. We kind of teach our kids explicitly or implicitly that the goal is to maximize your authority and to minimize your vulnerability. Now, the Bible gives both. The Bible says, put your hand on a plow and do your work. It says that for man and woman, we are created to subdue the earth, to have to exercise dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all the, all the creatures that live in it, that we are to do that and have that. And that is a good thing to have authority, to exercise authority. But we're also called for vulnerability, and that's when we expose ourselves meaningful risk with authority that's when you command ask or imply and it gets done when I go into my office and the books are there and the things are arranged and the food is set out for the meeting why is that because I have authority when I go home and go into one of my kids rooms uh, certainly when they were little and the 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 beds are made and the clothes are put up why is that because I have authority when I go home after work and there's my slippers next to my lazy boy and a, a tea on my tray why is that I went to the wrong house. Authority is when we're able to ask or command or imply, and it gets done. Surgeons have it in the operating room. Judges have it in the courtroom. Teachers have it in the classroom. And we have this authority to be able to get things done. Yay. Be careful with authority. Anybody going to lead? Anybody going to lead the church? Be careful with authority. Wield it very, very humbly and follow jesus and look at what the word says about leadership there's no better advice than here to follow that but vulnerability listen you begin your life vulnerable and you end your life vulnerable everybody you begin it vulnerable and you end it vulnerable and so to share your story to share the lows to share where you are in real time or having struggles is vital for everybody's health and well-being spiritually to what extent do people know your story a few years back i thought therapy relationships with other pastors community in my life was optional i saw it because i was kind of you know seasoned and i'd been there and had a degree of wisdom So those things were supplemental to my life. Can I just tell you, it's foundational to my life. To process my stuff and to bring it out into the light and to let people know what's happening within me is vital. And listen, my faith grows when God touches my life through other people. As Lauren and the team uh, make their way up, we were going to begin to close. I'm going to just mention a couple of things here. One is touch. Scientists tell us, doctors tell us. There's a few of you in the room. There's something called a hemoglobin. And hemoglobin, when you touch, when you get close to someone, like isolation's killing us. But when you get close to someone and there's touch, meaning, meaningless touch, it can be perverted as we know, but meaningful touch that's wanted and needed, it releases, hemoglobin. there's this, this power in your blood, and this is the part of the blood inside the hemoglobin. It sends uh, oxygen to the brain and to the heart. In other words, it's healing when we touch each other in love appropriately. We need closeness. We need it. There's this reality in vulnerability uh, called tears. It's when we open ourselves up and we share Paul who would write these words in Romans 1, who would be present in Acts. It says in Acts 20, that verse 37, that when Paul was leaving Ephesus, they had gotten so close together that they knelt down to pray together and that there were tears, that they wept. They, they touched and they wept. Henry Cloud, one of my favorite thinkers, says that God could have put our tears anywhere. He could have made them less conspicuous. Your tears could be in your armpits or in between your toes. But he put them on your face. You're designed for vulnerability. Two last pictures as we close. One's just a jar of marbles. And marbles are hard and contained, and they, they they can glisten and they can shine, but they don't spill out together. They just clunk and clank. And again, they can give a moment of joy, but they're just hard and contained right there. But compare a jar of marbles with a little bag of grapes. Grapes are physically closed like those marbles, but if you shake the bag, they're going to bleed on each other. It's not going to look necessarily pretty, but it's a deeper level of connection. It's a life that spills out on others. It's not so contained And something is produced, y'all know this, you got a juice from this. You got something that's produced that can be part of festivals, that can be part of joy and celebration and gatherings of people. And the call for us is to be more like these grapes than those marbles. To live less hard and contain. You see, we can be close together, but not poured out. And the goal for us in following Jesus is to pour ourselves out. Would you stand and let me pray. Father, for any of us who drifted, we we, we all are sharing in this world that we live that's telling us that it's dangerous to be out and dangerous to be close. And God, though there's truth to it, We're called to never stop pouring our lives out. To never stop being together. For anyone today that's struggling like the ant in the movie about being an individual, but feeling left out or so insignificant, Lord, like that ant in that movie, show us that our significance is in our relationships with others. And that whether it's a crowded room or a small group, that we can be close we can be genuine we can rally our lives around these practices of prayer and worship and fellowship of learning and study and god i pray that you would increase our faith for anyone that's fading losing uh, close to leaving god strengthen us lord you give us knowledge and i pray that it would pervade hearts and minds, that we would not become futile in our thinking with our own foolish heart darkening, knowing you but not really knowing you or giving thanks. Lord, I pray that we would be a genuine people and then your work in us would continue in ways, even ways that we haven't even imagined. Lord, bless the tithes and offerings and bless our time as we respond in you, respond to you. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.